0: and especially the Canadian network that joins us tonight. This is the first time that we have had uh, stations throughout the Dominion of Canada, and uh, so we welcome our Canadian friends along with our American friends, and I believe the number of stations tonight is between 160 and 170 stations. We have uh, just seen a beautiful motion picture entitled, The Heart is a Rebel. It has been my privilege to review a number of religious pictures in the last few years. I can say without fear of contradiction, this is by far the greatest evangelistic picture I have ever seen in beautiful color. And they are premiering that picture across the country right now in various cities, and uh, I hope that all of you will go to see that picture. I don't have to say that. I wasn't asked to say it, but it so moved us that uh, all of us that saw it were moved as I have rarely been moved under the impact of the gospel. And I hope that you will be praying for that picture as it soon will be released in churches all over America, and I hope you'll have it in your church. The Heart is a Rebel, put out by Worldwide Pictures in Hollywood. Now, tonight, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. All of you with your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. And 1 Corinthians comes right before 2 Corinthians, if you have any difficulty finding it. How many have your Bibles? Lift them up. Hold them. Wonderful thousands of people with bibles the first chapter of first corinthians beginning with the 17th verse and tonight i want to speak on the subject the offense of the cross the offense of the cross for christ sent me paul is speaking for christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words lest the cross of christ should be made none effect. Paul said in my preaching, that if I did it with cleverness and the wisdom of words, then would the cross lose its effect. He said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. In other words, Paul said that a sermon like I'm going to preach to you tonight is foolish to you that are perishing it is a foolish subject it will be a foolish message the apostles said that 1900 years ago for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent where is the wise where is the scribe where is the disputer of this world hath not god made foolish the wisdom of this world has not god made foolish the wisdom of this world. Look at the world's wisdom today. Where is it? Our best brains are trying to build bigger and better bombs, more effective missiles and engines of destruction, Frankenstein monsters that can destroy civilization. All of our vaunted intellectualism, all of our vaunted culture and society and civilization says God has made it foolish for after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe God has chosen this method to save men from destruction and judgment and hell this method of preaching this method of proclaiming the gospel Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You cannot come to Christ except you hear the gospel. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jew a stumbling block and unto the Gentiles foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. This cross, this preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the scripture says, is wiser than all the men of all the ages. Wiser than all the university professors. Wiser than all the intellectuals. It's foolish to the world. But God says this very foolishness is wiser than this world. And the weakness of God, The weakness of God, the cross, seems to be to the world a weakness. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and things which are despised. Think of it. Base things. The cross was a base thing. It was a thing to be despised. It was called a scandal among men. And yet God chose that method to confound the wise and to save the world. That no flesh should glory in his presence. No man will ever be able to stand in heaven and say, I got here by my own ability, by my own works. We will have to stand and say when we get to heaven, we got here by the cross. We got here by the death of Christ on the cross and the fact that he was raised again from the dead. And Isaiah had said 800 years before, he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And in Galatians, the apostle said, And I, brethren, if I yet preach works unto you, then is the offense of the cross ceased. The apostle Paul said in all of his preaching, in all of his proclaiming of the gospel, there is an offense to the cross. Paul said, I can preach anything else, and there's no offense. But when you preach the cross, there's an offense. And this expression, the offense of the cross, sounds strange to our modern ears. Because, you see, we have a beautiful cross on our churches. We have crosses in the lapels of our coats. We have crosses around our necks. We have crosses embossed on our Bibles think of it as a scandal and as an offense and yet the Bible says it's a stumbling block it's an offense it's a scandal among men it's a base and despised thing it is an old rugged cross it was a place to execute criminals it was a place where the vilest died and when I see Christ hanging on the cross I say with Isaiah there is no beauty that I should desire him Paul says that in his day there was an offense and I found in my own ministry that I can preach anything else and it's called popular. It pleases the ear. But when I come to the heart of Christianity, when I come to the cross and the blood and the resurrection, that is the stumbling block. That's the thing people do not want to hear. That's the thing that is foolish. That's the thing that is an offense. And yet it's that very thing that is the heart of the gospel. And without the cross, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness. God said, I'll meet the human race only one place. That is the cross. And if you haven't been to the cross, there is no salvation and there is no forgiveness. Why is the cross an offense? I got to thinking about this not long ago. Why the cross is an offense? I see Christ hanging on the tree. I see him dying for me, I see blood being shed, I see nails in his hands, I see a spike in his feet and I see Christ dying for sin, an offense. Why is it an offense? First, the cross is an offense because it is the condemnation of the world. The cross says to the world, you're a sinner. The cross said to the thief who was dying on the other cross, You're a sinner, you better repent. And the thief did repent. He confessed his sins. And he said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Christ forgave him right there. But first, the cross condemned his sins and made him confess and acknowledge that he was a sinner. To the centurion who had helped nail him there. The cross said to the centurion, You're a sinner. And the centurion had to exclaim, Surely this must have been the Son of God. The cross said to Herod, You're an immoral man. You're living in adultery. And the cross speaks to you about your sins tonight, your sins of immorality. There is no sin in the Bible that the Bible condemns more than the sin of immorality. It is America's great sin tonight. It is the same sin that caused the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is the same sin that caused fire and brimstone to be rained down on the two cities of the plain. It is a sin that God hates. And God said, whosoever looketh upon a person of the opposite sex to lust has committed it already. And the cross said to Herod, you're living in immorality and you're going to go to hell for that unless you repent of sin. And Herod didn't like it, and Herod rebelled, he cringed under the impact of the cross which became a conscience to Herod and stoke to Herod. And tonight some of you are cringing because you know that that is your sin. Look at another man, Caiaphas, proud, cold, crafty, wise old man in his pride and the cross said to Caiaphas you're a sinner Caiaphas you're a religious leader but you're a sinner Jesus had said to Nicodemus except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of heaven and I tell you I don't care if you are a Sunday school teacher if you are a deacon or an elder or a church leader unless there has come a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ it means nothing We have a lot of religiosity in this country. We have a great deal of religion in America. We have a great deal of worship in America that is not true worship. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. They paid tithes. They were orthodox. They were fundamental. They believed the Scriptures from cover to cover. And yet Jesus, in the most scathing language, denounced them and indicated they were not saved and indicated they would come to him in the last day and he would say depart from me you cursed I never knew you Caiaphas was a religious leader and yet he helped crucify Jesus pride and there is no pride in all the world as terrible as religious pride proud of our religion proud of the things we do, the externals of religion, when down inside we are filled with pride and jealousy and envy and backbiting and gossiping, and we do not lack, we do not have love. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, in that ye love one another. Do we love? By their fruits ye shall know them, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And if I see a person who isn't loving his brother in Christ, I have a right to doubt whether that man has ever been to the cross, no matter who he is, or how much he may say he believes, because the Bible says the devils believe. Oh, the devils are orthodox. They believe and tremble, but they're not saved. Look at Pilate. The cross said to Pilate, you're a coward, Pilate with your fear and cowardness. Pilate, you're a sinner! And Pilate didn't like it. He cringed and tried to run from the Savior. Look at Judas. The cross says to Judas, Judas, you're covetous. And covetousness is idolatry. Judas was with Jesus for three years. He had heard all the sermons that Jesus had preached. In fact, Judas had baptized. Judas had been on Jesus' team had traveled for three years with Christ, had been one of his intimate companions. And yet Judas was lost. Judas was covetous all the time. Judas was lost in the end because he had never realized the personal, intimate presence of Christ. And he had never understood nor been to the cross in by faith and had an encounter with Christ that counts. And it's possible to be in the organization that Christ founded. It's possible to be in all the religious organizations. And if Judas, who spent three years traveling with Jesus, was lost, that should cause all of us to search our hearts to see how we stand. The soldiers that gambled for his garment, the cross to all of these people says you're a sinner. And when Paul preached the cross before Governor Felix, Felix trembled and said, When I have a more convenient season, I will call for you. Felix tried to get away. Why? Festus said to Paul when he preached the cross to him, he said, You're mad, Paul. Agrippa said, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And the cross has come down through the centuries passing its unfaltering judgment upon the vanities, prides, hates, greeds, and self-indulgence, pleasures, and lusts of men. The cross says to us all, you're a sinner. It becomes the conscience of the world, the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when I come to the foot of the cross, the first thing I have to say is, I am a sinner. But the scripture says, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. You don't want the light of the cross. And so the cross becomes a stumbling block. It becomes foolish to you. When you realize that you must give up your sins, when you realize that you must acknowledge that you're a sinner, you say no, no, and you cringe, and you go back into your darkness. And the light of the cross begins to penetrate into your extortion, into your pride, into your idolatry, into your bigotry, into your intolerance. Into all the sins of your life, the cross sends a beam of light and you cringe back and say, No, no, no. Don't expose me. And the cross goes down into the dark recesses of your heart where even your wife or husband cannot go. Even your family cannot go. Even your best friend cannot go. Down deep inside of you and sees the sins and exposes them to the light. And God says someday that every secret thing shall be brought out. And the cross says, you're a sinner in need of repentance. And so the cross becomes a stumbling block. And it's an offense to all of us that are sinners tonight because we don't like to be told we're sinners and we don't like to acknowledge that we've broken God's law. You see, we're all proud. We don't like to come to an old cross where blood is being shed and saying, oh God, I'm a sinner, forgive me. We don't like to do that because we have to come in humility. One of the reasons I ask people to come forward in these crusades is not only an expression of their will, but it is also an expression of humility. Jesus could have healed the man with the withered arm by saying, Be healed, but he didn't do it. Jesus said, Stretch it forth. He wanted the man to do something. And the man stretched it forth, an act of his will, and the man was healed. When I ask people to come forward in a crusade, I'm asking them to do something, to express their will, to say, I will receive Christ. I will follow Him. I will serve Him. I will come to the cross and acknowledge that I'm a sinner and turn from my sins. And then secondly, the cross of Jesus Christ is an offense because blood was shed there. We hear a great deal about the slaughterhouse religion, religion of blood and some people don't like it and it becomes an offense, but the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood and the Bible says eight things about the blood of Jesus Christ. First, the Bible says it is the blood of propitiation, Romans 3.25. When, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the forgiveness of sins that are past. The word propitiation means mercy seat, it is the meeting place, it is where God covers our sins. And I tell you, your sins will never be covered except for, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is the blood of redemption. Revelation 5 9. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We are bought back by the blood of Christ. We were not bought with silver and gold and precious stones. God paid the price of the blood of His only Son who died on the cross.